You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Last week we started our series in the book of James. Um, James 1, so we're going through a chapter at a time. We're going to move quickly through James. It's only going to be five weeks. And I'm encouraging you to read and to study James while we're going through it, because we're not going to be able to hit on every single point. We want to have a broad view. We want to see the bigness of God in this. But James 1 is about mature faith. Uh, we, we, we saw that trials and testing, if faced with our eyes fixed upon Jesus and a trust in who he is and his ways, will produce more mature faith. How do we see our faith mature no matter what we're facing? I'm glad you asked that question because we answered it last week. And if you weren't here, you can listen to the podcast and hear about it. We don't give in to our own desires. That's how we see our faith mature. We do what the Bible says, and we don't let the world's culture around us determine how we live. If you open your Bibles this morning to James chapter 2, we're going to get into James chapter 2 this morning. But I, ask, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever looked at somebody and made an opinion about them without having got to know them? Sadly. Have you ever looked at somebody as they've walked into church and gone, oh, I know what sort of person that is, without actually going up to say hi to them or to hear their story? Have you ever decided that you don't like somebody without ever having a conversation with them? Because if I'm honest, and, I, and, and uh, if we're going to preach, we have to be honest and vulnerable, I've done that. I've done that. When I was in year nine, we moved from Adelaide to Melbourne. It's a big time to move, but we were, we were on God's mission. We felt like God had told us. We were coming with our, my parents to plant a church. But my last day at school in Adelaide, everyone's saying goodbye. You know, it's the big like, oh, we'll probably never see you again. And to be honest, I never saw most of them again. I saw like one or two, but like, oh, and, you know, sad. And um, my homeroom teacher, I think he was a, a, a great guy. Um, I think he was a man of God, actually. I think he had faith. And he, he says to me this. He goes, Matt, you're a good kid. You're a good young man. In year nine, going into year 10. He says, but there's one thing I'd like to say to you as you go. You write people off too quickly without getting to know them. And I was a bit like, who the heck do you think you are? <laughs> and then I realized I was doing it. As he... But then he said, you have a fresh start when you move to Melbourne. What will you do with it? And it stuck with me. It's amazing how one sentence or one interaction can stick with you your whole life and actually form who you are. Because I don't think I would be doing what I do today, leading the team that leads this church, ministering to people, if he hadn't said that. Because I was somebody who would write people off based on their appearance and how they looked and without getting to know them. And I was quick to make judgment on others. And if we're going to minister the love of Jesus to people, we can't be quick to make judgment on them. We have to hear their story. We have to get to know them. Doing this very thing that we're talking about is what James addresses at the start of James chapter 2. Last week we saw in James chapter 1 that he uses the example of, of money or those who don't have enough and those who have heaps as an example of something that, 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 that very, the very reality of it puts pressure on us to take our eyes off of Jesus and to focus on the world. 
And our response to either situation, having much or having little, can either strengthen or weaken our faith. And in chapter 2, he goes from that example that he uses to a very real reality. So it's not an example anymore, but this was something that was happening in the church. And he says this. Let's read from verse 1 to verse 7. He says, my brothers, you can put in sisters as well if you are female this morning. If you are female all the time, you can't. Anyway, sorry. If you're female this morning, you are female. If you're male, you are male. Let's get on with it. That's not the point today. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while the poor man, you say, stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions amongst, yourse- amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and, um, and the ones who drag you into court? Are not they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? We all have equal standing in Jesus. Yet so often, can I say it again? We all have equal standing in Jesus. There should be an amen to that, because it includes you. Yet so often we treat people differently based on our preferences, their cultural background, um, you know, a a whole lot of different things that we see. Uh, um, Or or as the example that James is using, we treat them differently based on their economic status. Partiality means to accept or judge according to face or appearance. And James says to show no partiality, to, 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 to not accept or judge according to face or appearance or surface level. What does it look like today to make distinctions among ourselves? It's treating anyone in the kingdom differently to anyone else in the kingdom. It's treating people, even if they're out, whether they're in the kingdom or not, with different value based on our preconceived ideas, our prejudices, rather than as loved creation of Jesus who he gave his life for. It's judging people. It's it's ranking them based on status or appearance or education or what job they have or what car they have or where they live. It's turning our nose up at them because they're different than me. It's holding cultural prejudices. For many of us, if we're honest, this thing is so ingrained in us that we don't even realize we're doing it. I didn't didn't realize that I was judging people on face value in year eight or in year nine until my teacher, God bless him, pointed it out to me. And I didn't like the feedback, but I had to take it on board because it was true. And it's changed my life. Didn't realize I was doing it. And it wasn't like I came from a home where that was the normal. I actually think that, that my parents don't do that. 
Uh, and I've lived in different cultures. I was born in the U.S. I lived in, on an island called Saipan, east of the Philippines. I lived in South Africa and Durban. I lived back in the U.S. I've lived in Adelaide. I've lived in Melbourne. I've lived in different places, multicultural places. And I didn't realize, and it wasn't a culture thing, I just didn't realize that I was that shallow. When we do this, the heart thing is that it's born out of our own insecurity. It comes from a place of not knowing our identity in Jesus. It's actually a manifestation of, of an orphan spirit. Because when I know that I'm accepted in Christ, and that I'm a son or daughter of the Lord, that I'm an heir of the kingdom, and that I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that I don't need to make myself feel better by putting others down. Actually, the reality is when I understand my identity, I search out others so that I can bring them to a place of honor and value and identity in themselves. And I want to challenge us as a church. Are you searching out, not just putting up with, but are you searching out people that are different than you? Are you searching out people of different culture and different background and different status economically, different education, people that are different than you, to actually bring them to a place of value and standing in Jesus? Not become like me because I'm better. No, become like Jesus because without him we're all broken and we're all lost. He goes on to say this in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, what's the royal law? He tells us that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. I mean, that's a good thing. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. When we show partiality, we're actually doing the exact opposite of showing love. Jesus says that they'll know you because of your love for one another. He talks about bringing his love to the world around us, to people that are lost and broken. And when we actually show, when we show partiality, uh, James says we're sinning because we're doing the very opposite of the thing that Jesus has called us to do, which is to love people. Favoritism, discrimination, is a violation of the kingdom law of love. I'm going to, like, amen myself this morning. <laughs> Favoritism and discrimination actually reveals an area of our heart that needs to be transformed. And you're probably quiet this morning, because I was quiet when I was preparing this, because it hits home. It hits home for all of us. I said at the Equip this week, we were sharing testimonies about, about reaching out and about having impact. And I said this in front of a room full of people, that we have the privilege as a church of being in Hallam, right next door to Dananong. 52% of people in Dananong don't speak English at home. Something like somewhere between 55 and 70%, uh, it, it varies, were born outside of Australia and this is what I said, and I'll say it to you because I want you to hear it. We are far too white as a church for the location that Jesus has called us to. So something has to change in our hearts so that we welcome people of other nationalities and other colors and other races. And not just there's a Sri Lankan contingent or there's an Islander contingent and they hang out with each other. But actually we welcome them into our homes and our lives because Jesus loves them and he has a heart for the nations. 
It reveals something that needs to be transformed in our hearts. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about overlooking sin or pretending like it doesn't exist or, or not, not bringing truth, but it's about love. It's about seeing people. It's about the way we treat people and our heart toward people. And actually allowing the Holy Spirit to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know, the Bible says it's not our job to convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's our job to love people, and in the presence of God, as we go after him and we pursue him and we preach the word and we, and, and we just become more like him, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let's read in verse 10. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable uh, for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has been shown no mercy. And mercy trials over judgment. James saying that we ourselves will be judged based on how we treat and love others. If it's not enough just because Jesus died for you and, 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 and you've seen who he is to go and love other people, then he throws us in, actually, you're going to be judged on the way that you treat other people. That's not a manipulation. That's just the reality that, that the, the level to which you show mercy and kindness will be judged on that. We'll have to give an account to that. Paul writes in Romans 2 that when we pass judgment on others, we're in fact condemning ourselves. But when we show mercy to others, to the poor, to the hurting, we ourselves are shown mercy. I think that's a now thing. I don't think that's a, when we stand before Jesus. It's actually as we show mercy, that mercy is released to us. As we help the poor, God releases his resources to us. You know, as we love others, God shows us a greater revelation of his love for us. And this is a, the, the, this, these verses here are a hinging verse before the first part of chapter 2 and the second part of chapter 2. It sums up the implications, can I say, of verse 1 to 12 and leads into the second part. For those who have read James chapter 2 already, you know that the second part is about faith without works. There's a whole discussion we're going to see about faith and works. Because the reality is this, how we treat others and how we love people and how we serve others Treating people equally should be the fruit of having faith in Jesus. So let's read the next part of James chapter 2. He says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What did I write in here? Or has, it's not alive, that's what I wrote. My Bible is so scribbled, and I almost had to get another Bible because I've, we've preached out of this before. And so, like, there's so many marks and scribbles in here that I'm kind of like, you've got to, I'm glad they come up on the screen because some of the words are underlined so many times you can't read the word below it. Can that faith, so what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is this? Maybe take it into today's modern thing. If somebody lacks something, if somebody's going through tragedy, and our response on, on social media is thoughts and prayers, go in peace. What good is it? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, uh, 
Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works or by what I do. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father, now I'm going to explain this to you in a minute, so stay with me. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. As the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to it to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Hang on a second. If, if you went, oh, what is he talking about? We're going to get to that because this is the opposite of what Romans 3 says. Um, person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in some ways, uh, sorry, and in, in the same way, was, uh, same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James's point here is that hearing God or faith must lead to doing or to works. So that hearing must lead to doing, that faith must lead to works, that being transformed by Jesus has to lead to action. James is saying that genuine fruit must, uh, genuine faith must bear fruit in our lives. We can't see Jesus and not love our neighbor. We can't receive the grace of God and still stand and condemn those around us. We can't see Jesus and be transformed by who he is and not, not uh, we can't see Jesus and be in his presence and not be transformed and changed by that very presence. We can say we do, but when we actually do, it results in fruitfulness. James is saying that if our faith doesn't result in action, then is it really faith at all? If you're taking notes, you can write that down. If we say we've been with Jesus, but it doesn't change who we are and how we act, if it doesn't result in action, then have we really seen Jesus? And that's the question some of us need to ask this morning. Because if it hasn't changed the way we live, then have you actually been with Jesus? Many people get caught up in this passage because if you read Paul's writing in Romans chapter 4 and Romans 3 and 4, it can seem like James and Paul are contradicting each other. And people go, oh, no, but we're saved by faith alone. And James says, no, no, but we're saved by works. Uh, what are they saying? Are they, are they in opposition? Is this a, one of those scriptures that doesn't match up? And then, you know, then, oh, can we trust the Bible? That's, I mean, that's kind of what people get to. Because Paul writes this in, in Romans 4, verse uh, 2 to 5. He says, if Abraham, so it's the same example. James talks about Abraham. He says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So kind of, it seems like Paul's denying that Abraham is justified by works. He's arguing from Genesis 15, verse 6, that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified by faith alone. Stay with me for a minute. James' assertion was that Abraham was justified by his works. That's what he says here. But his assertion is not based on 
Genesis 15 verse 6, which Paul's quoting, but on Genesis 22 verse 9 to 10. Why is that important? Because it's many years later, he's talking about when Abraham uh, responds in faith and brings his son to sacrifice and then God provides. It's many years later than Genesis 15. It seems that when Paul's talking about being justified, he's emphasizing the, the, the sense of being declared righteous by God through faith on the basis of Jesus' atoning sacrifice. We would agree with that. It's Romans 3, verse 24 to 26. But the primary way James is using this word justify here in, in James 2, verse 21, seems to be emphasizing the way in which works demonstrates that somebody has been justified. He's saying that for Abraham to, to offer his son Isaac and then see God provide was a demonstration that he was justified in Genesis 15 by his faith alone. Jesus teaches this in Matthew 12, verse 33 to 37. Either make, the, uh, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. He's not just talking about trees. He's talking about us because he says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure bring forth, forth, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Ooh. For by your wor words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Okay, so Jesus throws in words, James throws in works, and Paul says faith alone. But when we see the order of this, we begin to understand what they're talking about. See, re remember, when James writes James, Paul hadn't written any of his books yet. He hadn't written any of his letters to the churches yet. James was the first. This is like seven years, seven to, to, to 12 years after Jesus died. James is making the point about our works that what we do with seeing Jesus demonstrates that we've been justified and are walking with intimacy with him. Paul, I think, is bringing clarity later on to say we, 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 we can't work our way into salvation. We're saved through faith alone. So James is saying that your salvation needs to look like something, needs to result in action. But Paul, and Paul's bringing clarity many years later to say James is right, but we don't work to our salvation. Salvation is a free gift by the grace of God. We receive it by faith alone. He's not, he's, not, um, he's not contradicting James. He's just bringing clarity to people who said, well, James said it's this, so I'm going to work my way to salvation. He goes, no, 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 it's faith alone, but it has to look like something. James is also right. It has to result in works, in action. It might help to see it visually, and I think we have an image. Faith, Jesus, works. It's very simple. Basically, works don't earn us salvation. Romans 3 verse 22 says that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who, sorry, the righteousness of God uh, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. It can't be a gift if you have to work for it. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or the payment by his blood to receive by faith. So we can't work for it and we receive it by faith. Can we put that the image back up there for a minute? Salvation is a free gift of grace that we receive by faith. We come to Jesus through faith alone. But once we're in Jesus, 
Once we're saved, once we know him, it should result in action, in works that reflect the life transformed by Jesus. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know the tree by the fruit it produces. Does this make sense? Is this making sense? I hope it's bringing some clarity to you. Because so often people go, no, no, James and Paul contradict each other and we can't believe the Bible and what is it? No, no, they're not contradicting, they're complementing each other. It fits very well into a theology of salvation by faith alone, the grace of God, that has to result in something. Because we don't just sit at the cross. We walk through the cross. We live through it with purpose. We're called to bring the love of Jesus to others. We're called to live on mission. We're called to be disciples who make disciples. It has to look like something. This fruitfulness, the result of faith in Jesus, comes back to how the chapter started. And it's picked up, it's picked up on throughout the rest of James. How can we show partiality when Jesus didn't show partiality to us? How can we continue to discriminate or to make judgment or pass judgment on people based on external things, face value, what they look like, whether they have money or don't have money, when Jesus didn't say, uh, it depends on what you look like or your external things for me to sacrifice myself so you can be saved and have a relationship with God. How can we be in Jesus and still be doing that? If we're doing that, we recognize that there's something of our flesh that still needs to be put to death. We're being sanctified, and we have to deal with that area of our heart, that prejudice in our heart, that, that whatever it is, that we need to actually bring under the submission of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. How can we justify treating people differently based on their status, their income, their education, their ethnic background when we're in Christ and we've been brought into the body. So what does this look like for us? We have to ask this question. What's the fruit my life is producing? What does the fruit of your life look like? That's a hard question to ask. Because the Bible says that The word of God is a mirror. So often we treat the word like a window. We want to open the window. We want to take rocks, bits of scripture, and throw them at people that are passing by and try and knock them out. You sinner! Bah! But it's a mirror. When we look at it, I go, oh. I'm a sinner. I need the grace of God. Oh, look at the lack of fruit in your life. No, it's a mirror. Oh, look at the lack of fruit in my life. What's the fruit your life is producing? Is what I do determined by my faith in Jesus and my intimacy with him? Is what I do and what I give my time to and the way I respond to situations, the fruit of my life, determined by my intimacy with him. Is my faith alive? Is it producing the works of Jesus or is it dead and bearing no fruit? 
I think that's why the Bible says that many will stand before the Lord and say, we did great things in your name. We cast out demons and we prophesied and he'll say, I never knew you. Away from me, I never knew you. It's about intimacy with him. It's about proximity. It's about relationship. And from that place, it produces action and change. Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the presence of God, the fruit of being with Him is love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, that hurts. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against those things, it's not, they, don't, they don't come from being under the law. They come from being in the Spirit. If you recognize a lack of fruit in your life, it's probably because you're not walking as close to Jesus as you could be. The response is not, now go do more works. The response is draw close to the Son. Draw close to the Lord. Because you can't earn it through works. But drawing close to him, sitting at his feet, results in transformation. It results in a life that looks different. And if you look at that list and you go, oh, I, I, I lack self-control. The result is not to go do a self-help class on self-control, although those things can be helpful. The, 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 the result or the, the action, the response, is to draw near to Jesus. Say, Lord, form this in me. Help me. Every time that I act out uh, of a lack of self-control, Lord, would you help me become more like you? Maybe you're doing the church thing, but there's no real intimacy with Jesus. So we can sit in church week after week or fortnight after fortnight or month after month, depending on how often you come. Um, and actually, to be honest not have a relationship with Jesus. You can sing the songs, lift your hands, do all the things, have all the language, but not actually live in intimacy with him. And you'll see it, because what's the fruit that your life is producing? Or maybe you're actually trying to earn salvation and identity. You're striving for something, rather than from living from that place of, I am a son or daughter of the Most High God. Dealing with that orphan spirit is an ongoing thing. I fully believe that freedom can come in a moment and that breakthrough can come in one transaction with the Lord. But sometimes it's worked out. Sometimes it's contended for, as, 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 as Scott shared prophetically, that we see a measure and we have to go after more and we have to contend for more because God's forming something of his character and nature in us. Because God's more concerned, I think, and I say this, without getting in trouble, more concerned with our heart and our relationship with him than even our full breakthrough. He wants to bring us to breakthrough, but it's not just a, you know, hey, I'm good if I'm not closer to him. What's the point of having breakthrough and freedom but not being close to Jesus? It's why we say when we go on the street, we bring the goods and the gospel. Because if we only bring the goods and not the gospel, what's the point of sending a blessed, well-fed person to hell? If 
feeding and helping and loving and clothing and having faith that results in action creates an avenue, an open door for the love of Jesus and his presence to come that actually leads them to repentance and salvation, then thank you, Jesus. But if we never get to the gospel, we've totally missed the point of what God's called us to do. If you recognize bad fruit in your life, Showing partiality, being judgmental, habitual sin, anger. Insert whatever you can think of. Whatever the thing is, because to be honest, every single one of us has something here. Either we have a faith issue or an identity issue. Can I say that again? If we recognize bad fruit in our life, either it's an issue of faith or an issue of identity. Either we're not looking to Jesus and as intimate with him as we should be, or we haven't settled some of the identity things in our heart. But that can change today. That's why we preach. That's why we gather. That's why we stand in his presence. Because we don't want to leave this place the same. We recognize and we go, oh my goodness. I've been looking to myself as my provider. You know, I, I, I've become insecure. I've become angry. I'm impatient because I'm not looking. My, 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 my gaze isn't fixed upon Jesus. I've actually looked to the world. Or there's an area of lack, there's an area of identity that I haven't settled in my heart. So I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to make a way for myself. You know, it's about me. I'm going to create a platform. If I just do enough, I'll be more anointed. That's an identity issue. It's an orphan spirit. Because you can't do anything to get more anointing except to be with Jesus. Would you stand with me? I'm not angry at you. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you know I'm not angry at you. I, just, I, I can't help but be passionate when we're preaching about Jesus. And I want us to, to grow. I want us to bear good fruit. I want us to be intimate with him. I want us to be more like him. It's not out of anger. It's out of love because I love you and I love us and I love him. And I want us to become more like him so that we can reach more, more people who need to experience his presence. That we can be free and walking in liberty and freedom and not bound up in the stuff and constantly going, Ugh, the fruit is rotten. The fruit of my life is gross. The fruit of my life is causing me to be sick and to be, you know, to, I, I can't eat this fruit. It's no good. And then we just go back around to the same pile and we go, oh, but the fruit is yuck and I want us to change. I want us to grow. I want us to become more like him. Because he wants us to be free and to have impact and to be more like him. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.